Hello, my name is Hazel Rowe from Eames Consulting and welcome to another episode of Inside the Auditorium. My next guest is a career technology auditor who has taken his career into the cybersecurity space and is now Chief Security Architect for Standard Chartered Bank. Please welcome Aaron Brewer. Take a listen to see how working in internal audit and how you can diversify your career. Enjoy. I just really wanted to um, have a chat with you because I find that this is quite interesting as you've actually used to be within internal audit and was a career auditor and now you've moved into other areas. Can you just tell me a little bit about your career? Sure. Hi, Hazel. Um, Yeah, I've been what you would call a career auditor most of my career, actually. I started as an accountant. which was probably largely driven by listening to my father on career advice. Make sure you get accountancy as a as a qualification; it will suit you for the rest of your you know, for the rest of your career. But quickly, I, I I exited out of accountancy or finished training accountancy and went into IT audit pretty rapidly. Um, more from a passion perspective, technology being something I've done and loved all of my kind of school life and growing up. So I wanted to get into using technology rather than just doing number crunching all the time, which I was in some of the accountancy work I was doing. Uh, and then went on a career of a learning IT audit as it was quite nascent at the time. Uh, and then going on and looking at, okay, where do I apply those IT audit skills? So I went through British Telecom, uh, more from an experience perspective, actually in British Telecom, they had every type of technology going, great place to learn. Uh, and then into JP Morgan and investment banking. Um, bigger organization, much more complex, the use of technology much more complex as well, particularly on the trading side. Uh, And then after that, moving into Barclays, spent a a period of time there, including a stint in Singapore, where I now live, uh, and have lived for 13 years. Uh, And then after Barclays, I went into Standard Chartered, uh, headed up technology and operations audit for five years, and then eventually took the plunge and went into first-line cybersecurity, and I've spent the last five years there. And in terms of, um, did you do any training to go uh, to go into being an IT auditor? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. When I was when I was training, um, so I was doing my accountancy qualifications at the time, and uh, I also was trained to be an IT auditor. So things like CISA were there, Certified Information System Auditor, and that was kind of one of the main training. Um, certifications you could go and do at the time and obviously there was technical training you could go and do in you know learning unix security for example and some of them were technical but actual it audit kind of practice and methodology in reality most of it was learned on the job so i had a, a, a good line manager who was teaching us it audit almost day in day out on, on every single job we did uh, and the practice was was growing in terms of how many IT auditors were out there in the industry uh, and the sharing and the knowledge of what we were doing and how we were doing it. It wasn't as um, widely shared as it is now. And we certainly didn't have the, the same platforms that people use today to share, uh, share the knowledge, but there was always a lot of people getting together just to talk about what, were they, what they were doing and how they were doing it and trying to learn by word of mouth sometimes even what other companies were doing in IT audit and data analytics particularly had just started and was just starting to be used in anger. Um, so a lot of networking, meeting other people from other teams, other organizations, 
um, but a lot of it on the job and you know, succeeding in some parts and failing in others and learning from your mistakes and you know applying those practices for the subsequent orders that you did and um, they were kind of the ways we generally learn. And in terms when you first started within the IT audit, you, uh, you, am, am I right to say that you was concentrating more on the application side and then you went into infrastructure? How did that work? Um, yeah, I, I, well, yeah, I did, I, did, I did a bit of both, actually. Um, when I actually first started IT audit and I was in external audit, it was more general controls testing. Um, and we were, you know, spending... At maximum two weeks with a client, normally only one, because the volume of IT audits that were needed to be done to support business audits was quite high. The number of IT auditors available was quite low. So generally, we would do one week at a time in each client, and more often than not, looking at general IT controls, um, so performance, capacity, change management, resilience, redundancy, incident management, all the kind of IT um, type disciplines. Then when I went into British Telecom, it was a mix between infrastructure audit and application audit, um, more blended between those two. It was only really when I got to JP Morgan that I then specialised purely into infrastructure audit for quite a while um, and did a couple of years of infrastructure audit and then went and did pure application audit. And the teams were structured differently because the size of the organisation was different. It was able to cater for, for more teams particularly. Um, so you could move around dedicated teams, uh, not only from an application versus infrastructure or decide, but also different line of business as well that you're supporting. Um, so I flip-flopped between those two quite often. Yeah. And when I got to Barclays, um, and as part of the career plan that I was putting in place for myself around, well, looking forward, what are the skill sets you need? I started to expand out of application infrastructure audit and bring in things like third parties audit, uh, understanding projects better and understanding how change audits would work. So you can aggregate those skill sets into, you know, later looking for a regional head of IT audit or a regional head of um, IT audit with change and third parties, in which is actually what I went to do later on in Barclays in Asia. And, and so with regards to, I've always thought that infrastructure is a lot more technical than IT applications. Would you agree with that? Um, I think you're going to, I think you might offend either, either one of the applications. <laughs> the answer. Um, I, I think it really depends. The I think the lines of infrastructure and application audit, are, they, were, they were once quite defined. Um, and now if you look at things like cloud technology, where, where do you draw the line between the two when you're looking at how you're going to audit an application that sits on AWS, for example? You need to understand both components pretty much as an IT auditor these days. Um, so the old kind of you know, monolithic view of, you know, here's the mainframe, the infrastructure team go and audit the mainframe, and here are the applications sitting on top of it. And it's more business process driven and, and looking at it from that lens. Now it's it's much more complicated, I think, and you've got to you've got to at least have skill set in both areas to go and do the work effectively, or you've got to take kind of a multidisciplinary team in to do the, the actual audit and go and look at what you're trying to get out of the, the piece of work. So, is it more complicated or difficult? Um, I don't think so. I think the complication now comes in if you look at some of the newer technologies coming in and, and use of things like AI and machine learning. 
where do you put that between application and infrastructure audit? It, you don't really. The technologies themselves are changing so much that the audit, um, the audit function and the auditors within that function, you have to be able to know the technology that you're that you're looking at, but also the change in technology products and what's actually being used is is probably much more significant now. Sure. And and so therefore then, you know, like in, in quite big banks that you've worked in, they're very they're very um siloed in, you've got your IT audit applications, you've got your IT um infra and cyber now. Um do do you think eventually then it would it would be better that they're they're sort of put together and more technical teams you know, be more. How, how would you how would you have that department now if if you was to to run that? Yeah, that's an inter- interesting question. I was just pondering that earlier on today, actually, because I think depending on organisation, sometimes teams are structured: the infrastructure audit team, the cybersecurity audit team, the application audit team, who are maybe more application mm. businesses and lines of business. Um, and I think that has historically worked quite well, but within that construct, you have to you have to be able to then leverage different skill sets that come out of the other teams, because a pure infrastructure audit will discover control weaknesses that actually then you need to start delving into the application to see how far it goes uh, in terms of the risk that you might be raising, and even to the point of bringing business auditors in as well. So um, the, there's pros and cons of doing kind of structured teams like that or doing maybe more horizontal teams where you bring all the skill set together. I think the reality is probably, depending on the kind of work that you need to do in terms of what the audit is, being able to flex and bring the relevant skill sets to that piece of work. And so I'd use an example of something like if you're going to do a payment audit, as an example, actually when you're finding issues in the infrastructure layer, um, or you've got a cybersecurity expert who's looking at the threats there, and you really want to know what the risk is around, can the money move? And if the money does move, what's the consequence and what are the compensating controls around that? So you want to have application people in that piece of work, but also to a degree you may even need the business auditors in because you want to look at compensated controls downstream um, and whether the bank or whatever organisation it is whether they're really genuinely going to lose money or or whether there's a risk but actually it won't materialise into a, an operational loss for the organisation. So you've got to, I think, flex a lot more than maybe we did previously in looking back in kind of the way we were structured historically. Okay. And and because as a, um, as a recruiter now, um, IT audit is becoming increasingly in high demand. It has been for quite some time. And for us that we're seeing quite a, um, a te- looking for more sort of technical people, maybe even more sort of security engineering. Um, are you? How does that work for you? Um, you know, is it something, do you, do you believe IT audit is becoming more technical? Um, I think the organisations that have maybe changed the balance of skill set within their audit team are are probably more progressive in how they're doing the actual audit work and bringing real technologists into IT audit is really valuable. The the lesson that I think has got to be taken, and and I'll put my kind of first line hat on here from what I've been doing for the last five years in cybersecurity, when the auditors turn up, 
it's quite difficult actually for them to really understand what your stakeholders are doing, all of the work that's going on, the complexity of the work, the technical aspects of the work, and to 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 expect to get into an audit and really understand that in depth in a short period of time is very difficult. If you have engineers with you or you have proper data scientists with you or you have specialist skill set with you on the audit team who have spent most of their career in technology and actually only now switching into risk and control like an audit function, those people are really helpful. And the, and the real litmus test is the reality on a lot of things we're doing in IT audit, particularly at the moment, is you need to go and read the code. So you also want people who have coding skills and can actually read the, the respective languages. Um, and that you know, that's a really helpful skill set to have because particularly from a first-line perspective, questions around controls and processes and the, you know, the normal um, line of questioning that you can get sometimes from audit teams is fine. When auditors turn up and say, give me a copy of your code, I'm going to read it and find out whether you've got problems or not, you have a different kind of level of, you know, A, understanding that they, they probably know what they're doing because now they're starting to look at the code and really understand where the issues are. And, and B, there's a transparency that comes with that. Code is code. And the, the, the configuration, the issues, the way it's structured, the way it's set up, you know, static passwords locked into code, all of those things are pretty transparent for an auditor who understands how to read it. So that skill set is really coming into the fore. So do you think the CISA qualification then is, is maybe becoming outdated or do you, but what would you train in now then if you was going to, you know, do your career, start your career now in 2023, let's say? That's a good question. Um, I think I would still, I think I would still do a, a let's call it a more general IT audit qualification like a CISA because A, you need to know the basics and, and the foundational aspects of it, but you really have to complement it with a series of other skill sets that you want. So, uh, you know, and you're looking into what people need now and what they're going to need in the future. And, you know, even now, although it's been going for several years, you look at skill sets around AI, for example, you need the basics of technology and you need the basics of something like CISA to understand foundational stuff. Um, and without it, you, you you don't you know you don't want to dive too far into the technical stuff without understanding some of the other controls that are out there. But then you really quickly need to dive into the technical aspects and things like AI skill set around. Mm. You understand how the models are set up. Do you know how they're validated? Are you checking for data poisoning? Are you looking for things like hallucination? You need auditors who've got a complex set of skill sets to be really effective, and that's not easy. Because skill, you know, those skills are super in demand, not just in audit, but in all other parts of the organization as well. And particularly AI, which is, you know, maybe has come, let's put it more in the popular popular category now. It's been there for quite some time, but it's been it's been definitely publicized and popularized quite recently. And so it's top of mind for everybody. And it's likely to be, um, I think it's the disruptive nature of it, it's likely to to be something that auditors are going to spend a lot of time on because you look at things like intellectual property rights and how people are using tools like AI. Are they using it in their workflow? Are they generating work from it? There's a whole series of skill set you need to build out. And 
one of the things we found, particularly in the work we've been doing within the security architecture team, is the depth of those skills is really important. And when you get really good people who really understand AI, they are um, very, very valuable, number one. Number two, they're able to help and teach and educate and collaborate, not only inside your own organization, but with other parties as well to help them get better at how they manage AI. And do you think then um, with an internal audit at the moment that they have the capabilities to, you know, just generally to, to audit AI or, or is it just sort of another buzzword that's floating around? Um, I'm not sure. My experience from My experience from a technology side is there are a number of people who have a have have a grounding in the basics, let's call it, of things like AI. Um, There are some people who are good at it and have got a really decent skill set around AI ML. And then there are a very small population of people who really understand it and really have the expertise in the topic. And that's in the technology side. So then when you translate into an internal audit function, being able to find those kind of people with that kind of skill set is really difficult. Um, it's difficult inside the technology teams to find people with that skill set. And there are you know, the explosion of use of you know, generative AI, for example. Getting that skill set quickly is very hard in, in all of the tech teams where everyone's, you know, everyone's looking for those, for those skills and that skill set. Trying to attract those same people into an internal audit function is even harder. Um, I think the the better way is probably you generate and do the development of the people within the function to grow their skill set and and really have some deep deep specialists in particular topics, blockchain, AI, ML, those kind of um, topics where you think these are the areas we really need some specialist skill set, but also. Um, more general training and awareness across the whole audit population around around artificial intelligence is super useful, at least so people have a good understanding. Uh, and then they they can use that understanding to then call in if they need to, very specialist skill set, but it's very, very hard to get them. Okay. And then so if you're internally training training staff within AI though, that that they're a um would they then you're training them up to get headhunted basically as well aren't you well look the, the, i think i think this is um this is the way i've run most yeah. of my whenever i've been in internal audit you have to run your team and i think the wider function as well as a, as a, a place where people are going to come in and out of on a reasonably regular basis whether that's rotation that's a formal rotation whether it's a you know you have a structured to common process with um, with first and second line and you rotate people in and out or, or you know the flip side is as you build people and you give them the skills and experience and they've got their own career plans and they're looking at some of their medium term and long term goals and objectives there aren't necessarily always the jobs that they want to move into from a promotion perspective, particularly that exists within your team. So you have to you have to be prepared that they're going to move within the wider market. The good thing, though, is 
if you're a supportive leader and you help them and coach them and, and give them the right opportunities internally where you can, then ideally you want to retain them internally. That's obviously the best outcome. Um, but also at the same time, you know, allow them to to be, you know, open and transparent about opportunities they're going to take externally. Sometimes those people in a small industry like audit, they come back around pretty quickly, actually, in, you know, in a year or two's time after they've gone and got their experience or they've developed or they've had an, uh, another opportunity. Then they're looking to come back into organisations and good audit teams. They will generally rotate back around into those same audit teams again. So my my philosophy has always been help them, you know, encourage them wherever they want right. to go, help them get there and, you know, if they're good enough and you're good enough and you're providing the right environment, those people may come back as well. So don't you know, don't try and hold them too hard sometimes. So I'm keen to understand then, obviously, you've not been in internal audit for five years now. What skills do you think or do you, do you believe that you that you're that the jobs that you've been doing since then would make you a better auditor now? Yeah, Um my transition out of audit was really interesting. So in the run-up to me moving into the first line, and I've been looking several times at first line opportunities throughout my career, probably as early as um as early as when I first joined JP Morgan, actually, which is God now nearly 20 years ago. Um, looking at things like do I want to go into the Unix team and and be you know, a sysadmin, sys do I want to go into the database team, become a DBA? I looked at some of those opportunities all the way through my career. And um, if you've been in the audit function and, and particularly really good audit functions, there is a huge amount of variety of work to do. There is a huge opportunity in you're engaging with certain parts of the organisation at very senior levels. You're getting involved in some um, sometimes quite difficult or sensitive or um, quite impactful areas from a, from a uh, outcome of an audit, but also some of the conversations you have to have subsequent to those audits. You get a real exposure across an organisation, both in, in seniority, but also breadth of the organisation quite quickly. You don't always get those same opportunities from a um, from a kind of frontline technology perspective. So I was always lured by the opportunity, but never quite made the jump. Um, until uh, I'd been running technology and operations audit team in Standard Chartered here for yeah just over just under five years actually and built the team and got it to a point where the team was um, working well we'd we'd been really um, hitting some of the the positive points we wanted to as a team and really structured ourselves well and just progression opportunities coming for people and I got given the opportunity to go into identity and access management ironically. Um, to then uh, take accountability and own identity and access management for the group globally, but um, inherit most of the audit issues that my team had previously written uh, and the audit reports, and particularly some recent um, uh, adverse audit reports, I then subsequently picked up immediately in my new role and had to fix them all. And two things happened during that journey, and I think this is some of the skill set you, you pick up as you go into first line, and having been in audit, and I recommend every single auditor goes and does it because your your journey is very, very different. One, reading back some of my audit reports from my team and some of the audit issues, reading them and thinking, 
what do they really mean here? What was the real point they were getting to? How do we solve for, for that actual audit issue in the way it's been written? And the the translation of audit issue into practical remediation effort and projects and programs and how you can solve some of the risks that have been raised in an audit, that translation actually is not as straightforward as, as it may seem when you write an audit report, particularly if you're um, sitting with your team trying to figure out how to fix things. That was number one. Number two was I had a much larger degree of empathy for the people that I'd been previously auditing now sitting in the front line, um, not only looking at here's all the audit issues I've got to deal with, but the regulatory issues as well, running projects at the same time, running your BAU activities and operational activities. And on top of it, if you're in the technology first line team, dealing with production incidents that come along. And if you're in the cybersecurity team as well, uh, then taking part in some of the security incidents that also come. The, the volume of areas of focus that the, that the clients have when you're looking from an audit lens and the level of prioritization they're having to do on a regular basis, um, I got a massive insight into that, becoming a first-line owner of, of all those processes and, and BAU activities. Uh, overnight and having to do all the remediation efforts in the background as well. Um, my empathy levels for, for the people I'd been previously auditing for the past five years were were very different. And and for as a as a manager going from internal audit into sort of the, the first line, how, how was how did you feel that you were received from from the from your staff from the business in terms of you know making that transition? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the reality is, and I would say it was probably the first 12 months you're still an auditor. To everybody around you in the function you've just joined, you're still the auditor. You've been the auditor, particularly if you've been in the organisation um, that you've just moved into the first line. You you almost have to, it's about 12 to 18 month period before people start recognising that you're having to you know, lift the same workload, deal with the same issues, go through the same pain points, same experiences, uh, and almost earn your stripes, so to speak, with, you know, your teammates, your your peers around you and, and other people within the, the wider functions that you're working. You, and one of the reasons you should go and do first-line opportunities like this is to have that experience and, and get that credibility and, and insight of what is it actually like to really run one of these functions you know large teams of people uh, lots of processes the opportunity to impact the whole bank at times in terms of depending on what team you run there's a lot of accountability that comes with it and and the pressure with that accountability and the management of the team at the same time you've got to spend i would say at least it's at least 12 to 18 months to start to transform from from being known as the auditor to being known as one of the people who have actually had to deal with the same problems and the same experience. Maybe so would you say is I'm I'm probably still known, you know, I still you never lose the audit badge, I think, is one of those things. You've always got it somewhere on your sleeve, but yeah, maybe it's just a bit more hidden now. But do you think though, uh, do you think though, but coming from internal audit and and doing that job actually made you do that job more efficiently or you definitely bring a you definitely bring a different skill set to the table mm -hmm. and i remember thinking as i was going through and particularly uh, looking at some of the opportunities in the first line 
there's always, I think, an inherent fear in when you've been in audit for a long time or you've been in it for a, a reasonable period of time. Are you really equipped to go into the first line and deal with with running a function or deal with heading a team or, or running a series of processes or the technology itself? There's always a, a, a kind of an underlying almost a rational fear about are you technical enough? Do you have the skill set? I think now with some of the much more technical um, skilled auditors who have been technologists first and then become an auditor, I think it's a lot easier for those people to transition. But for people who have been career auditors like I had, there is a worry that you have around, well, if I'm running those processes, can I can I deal with the issues? Do I understand it properly? But what I found very quickly is the skill set you have in audit, the the sense of looking for problems, looking for root cause, trying to figure out where something went wrong and, and trying to figure out how do we get it, how do we get it working in the right way, in the right manner, and in a controlled manner. Those skills that you pick up in order are invaluable. And actually, you can really help the people around you who have been technologists all their lives so who may not have those kind of skill sets. The other piece that really comes to the fore is in order you're used to dealing a with difficult conversations, particularly if you're having adverse audits and you're dealing with your clients and you're having to close out those audits, you're used to having some of those more difficult conversations and and being able to hold a line uh, and and structure what you want to do in terms of how you push back against some of the outcomes that are happening. But you're also used to dealing and communicating with more senior people on a regular basis. One of the one of the things that really helped me early on, the network that I had from audit of clients that I talked to, they were all the people I knew to talk to when I moved into the first line. And a lot of them are at least reasonably senior or very senior within the organization that you may move into. So you can you can go to get a problem solved actually quite quickly because your relationship with sometimes with the head of the other function and that relationship helps you solve the problem much quicker than maybe someone who's uh, not had those relationships before may not have the opportunity to go and solve solve them in the same way. So what I'm hearing is that it, it, it's it's easier to go and, and, and learn sort of some more of the technical skills. But in terms, if you was doing um, cyber security, I don't know, engineer, let's say, going into internal audit, um, you know, being quite a, a strong technologist, is is it quite easy to sort of teach more of the softer skills in, in terms of stakeholder engagement? I think it depends on the person. And in audit is actually quite a hard job to go and do. And I've seen several people who have been good technologists, um, very technical. And there is a large element of, uh, of auditing where you are having to use a wide variety of soft skills. And most of the things you're dealing with after you've got your, your audit work done a lot of it is stakeholder engagement, dealing with the difficult conversations, um, trying to bring some pragmatism and balance to how you're looking at issues. And particularly if you've been in technology and you become an auditor, that transition from, from hard technical skills into soft skills, negotiation, influence, um, working with, with people across a wide spectrum, but also working with people at some quite senior levels of the organization. Sometimes that can be challenging for people. And um, one of the one of the skills you pick up if you've stayed in audit for a period of time 
those soft skills and the ability to go and leverage some of those soft skills in the conversations that you've got to go and have um, with with people across your organization that's not easy to replicate and sometimes people who like technology don't like getting involved in those kind of conversations and and actually spending time dealing with people they prefer dealing with technology which is why most of them started in technology in the first place so mm. some people do transition well um, it can be a struggle for others but likewise you can have the same issue when you're moving from audit into the first line particularly around technical skill set and i would put, I'd, I'd put into there it particularly if you've been a career auditor it's very, very hard to catch up on the detailed technical skills that some of the people you will work with have got. And you just have to accept that as a fact. I you know, I have on my team, for example, right now, people who have been 20, 25 years in security, deep technical security knowledge, you're never going to catch them up. They've been doing it for a much longer period of time. And you've just got to accept that's you know, that's where you are because of the transition you've made, but you bring other skills to the table and make sure you leverage their skills and, and allow them to bring their skills to the table. And then you bring your skills to the table and you work as a collaborative to get things done. But don't um, don't think that you, you're going to catch some of these people up. Some of them are more general technology people. And, you know, the more you train and the more you do, um, absolutely, you'll catch uh, some of those people up on technical skill set. But the really, really deep technical people, um, and particularly if they've stayed in their field and they're going to stay in their field and continue staying in their field, they have a wealth of experience, but great people to learn from. Um, I have people in my team who I really enjoy working with on a day-to-day basis because I just learn from them almost constantly. So how do you think then, um, because this, this issue is not going to be going away, right? You know, the world's becoming more technology-based, as you say, AI, whatever. Um, how, how do you think internal audit can bridge the gap there then in in, in terms of um, their hiring? And I think I think a lot a, a lot of the a lot of the future from an audit perspective and um, it depends on industry, of course, but let's use banking as a um, as a barometer just because I've had more experience in banking than others. If you look at where a lot of banks are heading, and, and particularly from an aspiration perspective, a strategy perspective, or either they're already there, they are moving towards or becoming fully digital banks. And um, the understanding of technology is is now something that isn't a... It's not really a, an area where you can have business auditors who don't understand technology relying on technology auditors. Every single person in an audit function today, particularly if you're in a either current digital bank or a bank that's about to become or transitioning to become a digital bank, everybody in that team needs to understand technology. And that becomes the basics of what you need to know and how, and how the bank will operate and work. But on top of that, and the, I think the demands on auditors now are are probably more than they were when I first started auditing. When I first started, you could specialise in just one topic. You could just be an infrastructure auditor. You didn't have to learn the business too much. You had to be aware of banking as a as you know, what products it had, but detailed knowledge about the business. You had business auditors to support you always. I think now you're getting to a point where the the average internal auditor has to have a lot of skill sets to be effective. And those, you know, maybe 
to silo teams of not having some understanding of different types of skill set. And now you're starting to layer in things like AI on top of that. You've got to have that multi-dimension, otherwise they're really going to struggle. And um, that multi-dimension that you're speaking about, you know, if, if you're somebody with that with that with that great skill set that can hold a conversation, how, how would you entice them into internal audit? Because surely every department would want somebody like that. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I've been out of internal audit, particularly for for the last four or five years. So uh, maybe I haven't had the same. Uh, you know, the same exposure or the same challenges that, that, that some of the hiring managers are going through. But I would imagine it's quite difficult if you've got people who can communicate well and with auditors particularly, you want them to be able to communicate with generally senior levels of the organisation, if not all the way up to the board, um, and have technical skills at the same time. There's always a, there's always a trade-off. You can't have everything. You can't be you know, the world's best deep technical expert and at the same time, the person who can go and sit in front of the board and, and present to them. There's a, there is a trade-off in there, but the skill set that, that those people need is now much more blended. And the use of those people in different parts of different organisations, you're competing for talent really against most of the organisation. You know, business people want those kind of people. The technology team want those kind of people. Most of the functions in the organisation probably want those kind of people. How do you tempt them into internal audit? Um, it's a tricky one. I think. I, I think, and it's probably harder now than it was when I started auditing. When I started auditing, there were you know there were kind of perks to the job that some people came into internal audit for. Things like you got to travel pretty regularly, actually. And now, post pandemic. Actually, a lot of it is done remotely, so the the aspect of travel is not there, and um, and the style of work is very different. The um, can you elaborate on that though? What, why the style of work is so different now? Yeah, I think there's a some of the audits I used to go and do when I first started out. We would we would fly to a location, we would work solidly for two weeks, and all of the work would be started and finished almost within those two weeks with the expectation that at least you've got your draft audit report out by the by the end of the second Friday. If not, you'd done the closeout meeting uh, and, and finished the report and it was, you know, bar being issued or being, you know, some tweaking that had to happen. When you return to your office, generally speaking, you were working in sprints. Um, I think now, particularly when you bring data, data science, data analytics, the use of technology, actually what you're doing more is interrogating a lot of data points and you may track data points across several months before you start picking up some of the issues you want to do. Some of the work can be much more drawn out and the travel aspect particularly, I mean, during COVID, nobody traveled. Uh, and after COVID, the change in working pattern more flexible work hours in you know, both working in the office and working at home. And because much more is data driven and you can do a lot more remotely by video calls, that style of work and the style of the technology around you that helps change how you do that work 
that didn't exist when I started auditing. There was no video calls, no video conferencing. We just hadn't, you know, we'd only just got mobile phones with, with text messages and SMS on it. So I think the pace and change of technology has really changed what the job is and what you can do. And um, if you look at things like we used to, you know, took a sample of 25, a sample of 30, and take physical paper copies and, and you know, go and check physical documents and physical attributes. That doesn't need to be done necessarily so much now, and particularly in a very, very technology-laden environment. You don't need to do it at all, and you should be doing full population coverage because you're sampling. You're not sampling anymore. You're testing all of the population, and it's much more insightful. So the style of work has changed dramatically, and I think the expectation, um, the expectation from a stakeholder perspective, has also moved because of that. So, and you know, sampling is a good example of. The confidence levels and the theory and the and the uh, the academia around sampling is all true. However, when you're sitting in the first line and you're actually receiving that kind of information, you have much greater trust and credibility in the information when an auditor comes to you and says, "I've tested every single transaction, and these are the seventeen that have got a problem." It's a very different conversation and actually starts you down mm-hmm. a more practical discussion around how do you fix the problem and how do we solve it? And, and is there a real underlying problem or are these 17 that we've just got, um, you know, specific issues with might be human error, could be something else. When it's sample driven, sometimes the conversation goes a bit too theoretical, a bit too quickly. And, and from a from a stakeholder perspective, you can you can lose a bit of the, the thread there. And um, sometimes that credibility, the style of working can, can impact what you're trying to get out of the work you're doing. So I think auditors have had to change and adapt dramatically. I think the flip side of that, though, is it feels like we don't see the auditors as much. And actually, face-to-face time and relationship building and and being there with some of the first-line teams to actually understand what they're doing, what they're working on, the challenges they're working on, the, the timescales, some of the pressures they're dealing with, um, and some of the, you know, like the third line, the first line also has talent challenges around hiring the right people, keeping the right skill set. Being on the ground and seeing that and and having exposure to what your your first line clients are actually doing rather than doing a lot of work remotely is is something that I think we've 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 seemed to have drifted away from, I think, in recent years. I rarely see auditors these days. And I know that's probably every first-line person's dream, um, but I mean that from a perspective of you still get the same number of audits on audit issues. Um, they just come electronically and remotely uh, more than they come uh, more than they come through face-to-face interaction. Uh, and that, I think that's something that you know, has got to change back to. You know, you've got to use the data. You've got to use the technology. You get much more insight, and you get to test in a much better, uh, much more practical way. But the engagement with the people is still really, really important. And that's where the soft skills have got to come back in for, for most of the auditors now. Do you, do you think COVID's done that more than anything? I think it accelerated it. I think there was already a, I think there was already a slow trend of, um, I'll, I'll call it auditing by email or, um, you know, auditing just by sending people you know, documents and, and expecting them to have read it. It doesn't qualify as communication, just sending an email to someone and not knowing whether they've read it or not with the expectation that you have. 
Um, there was already that style of work happening, I think, um, pre-COVID. I think all that COVID did was um, was just accelerate that everybody was remote and that style of work came in. But but I think it doesn't quite hit the mark in terms of what you really want to get out of an audit, um, both from a, an auditor perspective, but also from a client perspective, because sometimes it gets a bit too black and white this is the result, therefore the outcome is this. Whereas when you actually go and sit down with your clients and really talk to them, you'll understand, and I found this very quickly when I joined the first line, my expectation that was coming from an audit function that audit issues and the priority of audits were very high on the agenda for all stakeholders in the first line. The reality is they have a large number of priorities to deal with. And sometimes all it might be near the top of priorities that they've got to deal with, but other times it may be quite low down in their list of uh, things that they've got to get on with. And that human factor around understanding what else is going on and what they're thinking about and building the relationship to actually find, okay, this is where they are today, but where are they heading? So you can have some insight into what you're going to test either you know, next year or in, in the future on their roadmap sitting behind a screen all the time and not interfacing with real people, I think is is detrimental to building that relationship. So if if you move back to, you know, I suppose, number one, would you ever move your career back to internal audit? Yeah, of course. I think it's a, I think you've got to look at, um, and this is one of the things I looked at when I, when I made the move into the first line, you've got to look at some of the career steps that you take from a growth and a learning perspective. Also, I think once you've been in the first line, you develop a credibility that you didn't have if you've been in audit all the time. And when you go back into either even a second line function or a third line function, and you've been on that side and have, you know, you've got the scars, you've got the experience, you've you've been through the highs and the lows. The the way you can interact and talk with your clients and the way you can um, can relate to and understand and and bring. And I thought I was a reasonably balanced auditor when I was previously auditing. I think you bring a much better level of balance and pragmatism to the to the audit function when you do that. And that's where, you know, the, the constant worry is when you ha- when you have audit results that are that are quite siloed or quite um or are quite isolated in terms of thinking about the end-to-end picture and how the business or the process or the whole end-to-end construct works and how risk is really managed and how losses really happen and if and when they do happen. Um, when you've been in the first line and you can bring that experience back into the third line, I think your position and your the way you would create audits and the way you write issues and the way you would write your reports even would have a very different um, would have a very different output to what you've done maybe if you've been a career auditor your, all your life. So, absolutely, I'd go back and, and do audit and um, second line technology risk those kind of roles again. And depending on your own career plan, of course, um, but mine involves role, roles like I'd like to be a CRO maybe at one point um, in my longer term career plan. So, going back and doing those risk roles is is vital to that and. Um, at some point, I'm, I want to widen some of my exposure, and maybe it's second line, or maybe it's you know different topics. But I think the breadth of having those you know, those experiences is really important if you want to take on some of those more senior roles later on in your career. 
Sure. And and tell me, because you you are working around um, security now, where do you see, you know, everybody says technology is a risk, data analytics, you know, actually working in a, in a first line now, where, where, where do you actually really see those risks where you think we should be paying more attention to? Um, yeah, it's an, int- it's an interesting question. And I think it really depends on, uh, let's look at cybersecurity as an example. If you've got a really good set of cybersecurity capabilities and a very strong cyber team operating those capabilities, there's a there's a degree of threat that you can never deal with nation states, for example, and there's a you just have to have a risk appetite and a tolerance around. Um, you've got to expect that you know you're never going to be impenetrable, and you just you have to expect that you're going to have those from time to time. Um, but you quickly get to a point, I think, where the the bulk of the work, actually, with with good capability and good people and good process, and, and I think now organisations are much much more advanced in their in their defence capabilities against cyber attacks. Um, you, you you deal with most of that as BAU and the process of you know, triage, dealing with incidents and uh, and responding to those, but you can't stop people clicking on links. And you can put tools in place, and we have them in our organisation to to filter out what people click on and what happens when they click on, and, and how to um, segregate those um, and stop them impacting the organisation. But people are always a factor, and it may be people are making errors when they're um, you know, carrying out a change on the on the technology platform. Um, those things you can't stop. And people are always part of the organisation. They're always part of the process. So there's always that link in there uh, that you've just got to accept is is just a fact of life. And that's how you have to operate and just expect that people are going to do those things from time to time. So I think now it's it's a lot different. I think the real challenge we've got are things like AI, but also in um, in, the, in the sense of AI is going to impact how the people work within the organisation. And that may cause some issues, whether it's you know intellectual property rights or data leakage, or you know even they're starting to use it to help generate code, or they're starting to use it to help take over some of the things that that they were doing in terms of how they were configuring systems and how much validation do they put on top of that to check that the you know if they're using say generative AI, how much what's the how accurate is the output in terms of whether they're then going to put it into something that. Maybe you'd rather they had a greater degree of diligence over, but also how the threat actors that you have to face off to go to use the tools. The tools are the you know the tools, the technology, and the capabilities are the same to everyone. There's going to you know there's going to become an explosion pretty soon about you know, some of the some of the the ways that new technology is going to be used for new attack vectors is really going to change the game a little bit. The other one that's you know something that we're worried about is. If you look at quantum computing and the effects it may have on encryption and some of the protocols that we rely on today, that might change again quite significantly. And we should be thinking about how does that um, how does that mm. come to bear and, and how do we deal with that? Um, mm. I don't know where that'll end. And I, you know, on one hand, you you may have a philosophical point where you think, well, hopefully governments would prevent some of that, you know, some of that technology yeah. marketplace, but at the same time. Not everybody in the world thinks alike, and there are always different groups out there who've got different agendas. So, it can be quite challenging quite quickly, I think. And look, I'm yeah. sure 
new technologies are going to come soon after those and, and create a whole new set of challenges. But I think the reality is very, I think the reality is very clear for most people. Most of the problems that we're going to face are, um, are going to be you know, either technology driven or geopolitical driven at the moment. And, you know, a combination sometimes of the two may occur, obviously. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm conscious I've um, had had you um, had you for some time. Um, so maybe I can ask you a quick sort of um, fire questions, unless you've got anything else that you'd like to sort of input at all. No, shoot. Go for it. Okay, so what's one piece of technology you can't live without? Oh, iPhone. What book are you reading right now? Do you know, I'm really bad at reading my books. I've got a long list of books that I keep buying. Um, Elantris is what I'm reading at the moment, which is a fantasy novel, but I've got a stack of you know, non-fiction books that I'm meant to be reading, but it just seems to grow by the side of my desk for some reason. I've got to, I need more reading time. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, what's, is there a company that you, that you admire a lot? Mm, there are lots. Um, I think I look at people like AWS and what they have achieved. Um, I think they're quite impressive in what they've set up, but, I think there are lots of companies now where you look at them and think, wow, you're starting to push the boundaries of, of what we thought was doable 10, 15 years ago. Tesla's another obvious one, of course. But um, yeah, they've changed the game. I'm, I wish I'd, you know, hindsight's wonderful. I wish I'd had a lot of those companies stock when, when they first started out. But uh, hindsight 2020. And tell me, what's the best thing about working in internal audit? I think the exposure that you get, uh, you you just get to deal with some really interesting situations, problems, people, senior leadership. Um, you know, when I, I remember one of the, the great things we had uh, when I was in the internal audit function standard charters, you get to talk to the CEO fairly regularly and you get to talk to them from a position of hearing their views directly and understanding what's going on, but also a bit of check and challenge and asking them some broken questions sometimes. That's a real luxury. Sure. And if you wasn't, well, I know you're not doing internal audit now, but I said if you wasn't working in the in the jobs that you've done, what sort of role would you do? Mm, I'd like to do um, I'd like to do a second line risk role at some point in my career. Um, just because I've done first line, I've done third line. Um, I think if you want to be a, you know, if you want to go into something like a CRO type role, ultimately. I think that balance is good to have exposure across all three. So um, I would do I would do one of those type of roles. Um, audit is still in there as something that you get to help shape and influence and have real direct input into senior parts of the organisations. Um, and if and if I was outside of of the industry completely, I'd run a bicycle shop. <laughs> Well, Aaron, look, it's been great to speak to you um, today. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Take care.